Good morning, friends. <clears throat> I wasn't sure how my voice was going to sound. At least I still have one. I have just enough of an, a summer cold to be annoying, so I'm going to sit, if that's okay, so I can rest a little bit. I'm still bringing it, but I'm going to sit. So, if you haven't already, open up your St. John app, follow along in the sermon notes. Hopefully you are finding those helpful. Uh, I know I enjoy um, trying to dig into those to find out good nuggets for you. We are uh, continuing our series on majoring in the minors. It's hard to believe we only have two more weeks after this week of digging into this. And summer will be over. Oh, my gosh. And it's been so great digging into these minor prophets. It's been great for Tom and I to do that, too. So I want to kind of catch us up to speed to where we are right now um, with Zephaniah, who we're going to be talking about today. So up to this point, the northern kingdom is gone. Been gone for a while. The Assyrian Empire took it over, and now the Assyrian Empire is beginning to dissemble. They've been taken over by the Babylonians, so piece by piece, the Assyrian Empire is going away. Judah, the southern kingdom, is hanging on by a very, very thin thread. Very thin. Now, they've had a lot of really bad kings to help them get there. So there was King Ahaz, King Hezekiah, and the worst of the worst, Manasseh. Now, Manasseh um, had them worshiping other gods, had them doing more evil acts than the Judah had ever seen. So much so that he even killed, he sacrificed his own son to the Ammonite god Molech. So he was a one bad dude. After he passed away, his son Ammon took over. People had a little bit of hope, thinking that would be better. But after a couple years, it was not. It was still really bad. So a group of assailants come together and decided to take him out. So they took Ammon out, thinking that was going to make everything better. But some Judeans were like, nope, that wasn't the right decision. So they found the assailants, they executed them, and they put eight-year-old Josiah on the throne. <laughs> I am 38. Do not put me on a throne. <laughs> Let alone being three, uh, eight years old. So it was a big deal. Which brings us to Zephaniah today. So Zephaniah was the prophet during Josiah's reign. We don't know a lot about Zephaniah, but what we do know is that Josiah was a pretty good king. He brought in a lot of great reforms. He helped Judah make some strides toward getting back to who they were uh, in worshiping God and getting rid of all the idols that had come in from other countries. So he did a lot of good things, and a lot of that help came from Zephaniah. And we don't know too much about Zephaniah, but what we do know is that his name means the Lord hides. This is more than likely because his parents named him this because he was born during Manasseh's reign. And Manasseh had a history of sacrificing infants. So they probably prayed over him that Manasseh would not find Zephaniah and kill him. We also have a really cool genealogy in verse 1, chapter 1 of Zephaniah, which we do not have for any other minor prophet, but it's really cool. The reason we probably have it is because he was of the royal lineage. So it was very likely that he and Josiah were distant cousins, which helped Zephaniah in his prophecy. He had quite an influence over Josiah because they were related. Now, when you read the book of Zephaniah, you'll also realize why Josiah listened to Zephaniah's prophecy. I wish I was able. I'd totally do some instinctive dancing. Last time I was going to use this and I talked myself out of it. <laughs> But this time I was like, oh, another hammer has been brought and I have to bring MC Hammer into this sermon series. So here we go. So some of you all wanted a judgment part two and you're going to get it <laughs> because Zephaniah brings some serious judgment. 
And I'm not going to go down the same path that I went on a couple weeks ago, but I do want to remind you that judgment and God's love go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. They are very important and they depend on one another. So here's why Zephaniah, um, here's why Josiah probably listened to Zephaniah. First and foremost, in the first chapter, Zephaniah paints what is an apocalyptic picture. The end is coming for Judah and Jerusalem, and it is not going to be pretty. In verse 2, it says, I will sweep everything off the face of the earth. Judah and Jerusalem will be gone. There will be nothing left. It will be desolate and gone. And when you read chapter 1, you'll notice that there is this really cool creational turn in the poetry in chapter 1. And that's there for a reason, and it's because God created creation to be perfect, to have order. And people were really messing that up. And because of that, God was wiping it out. He was going to start fresh. And then in chapter 2, God comes in and says, not only am I wiping out Judah and Jerusalem, but I'm going to wipe out all the countries and empires around Judah. And this was because of the influence that these countries and these empires and these different cultures had had on Judah. That's why they were worshiping other gods is because they had let all these people come in and change who they worshiped. And so God was like, I'm wiping out all the influence. We're getting you back to square one. We are cutting it all out. So these were the same judgments that we heard from Nahum and Habakkuk. Judgment and destruction are coming, and now they are coming for God's people. Those people who were supposed to be righteous in the remnant of loving God and serving God and trusting God. But there takes quite a turn in chapter 3. So let's visit chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That is quite a twist from the apocalyptic pictures that we have in the first two chapters. This is called a song of joy. And so Zephaniah finishes what Nahum started, judgment and destruction into hope and salvation. And we know God's character is just, that he will always seek justice in his creation. He wants to rescue the world, rescue humanity from the evil, the violence, and the hate that we tend to sway towards. He does that through justice, through seeking it, ensuring it, and as we know through the Old Testament, by wiping out kingdoms and humanity. He does this because he loves his creation, and he wants to ensure that his world is as it is created, just, pure, holy. Now, we know that judgment and salvation is a recurring theme throughout the Old Testament, and we know that where there is repetition, there is importance. I know that reading the Old Testament can become very, very difficult. It's like, how many times can I read the same story of God wiping out these people through very, very harsh, gory ways? How many times do I have to read about the judgment and then the hope that comes after the judgment? We have a lot of stories of judgment and redemption, justice and salvation, accountability and freedom. So why the repetition? Why do we need to hear these themes over and over and over again? 
because they are our story. It is our story. If we don't read the Old Testament, if we don't dig in and learn about the God in the Old Testament, we will miss a huge big part of our own stories. We may forget that we too need God's forgiveness over and over and over again. We may forget that we are sinners saved by God's grace. We may forget that we too have our own struggles. We may not fully learn how desperately this world needed Jesus, still needs Jesus. We may not fully learn how deeply we need Jesus. It's hard to think about judgment. It's hard to think about where we fail, where we miss the mark, how we let God down, how we have pain and hurt, and we come up with coping mechanisms, whether to avoid that pain or hurt, whether to cover it up or ignore it which only leads to more struggles and more hardship. Now, a couple weeks ago, we did an exercise where we looked at a group, different groups of people, different labels that are out there. And I ask you to allow God to come in to show you where you were struggling to love or maybe you were judging these groups of people and you were having a hard time speaking in truth and loving those people, these groups and identities. This week, we are going to look at our own struggles, which sometimes can be even harder. So I ask you as there's going to be a lot of different things pop up, allow God to show you where you are struggling. What are some things that you need to open up to God about? You may be in denial. Some of these things may be new. Just feel the tension in your body as you see something that causes you to hear God's voice that says, hey, how about you let me have this now? So let's take a moment. There's not going to be any music. I'm going to make this as awkward as I can because we have to be able to hear God's voice. And we have music sometimes that blocks his voice out. So let's take a look at the screen and see where God moves us into our own struggles. This was not an exhaustive list by any means. I actually expect this to be a lot harder uh, to pick out our own struggles, to admit where we are failing or what we're struggling with or what we're trying to get through. It's much harder to do that than it is to point the finger at other people. <laughs> and in CR, Celebrate Recover, we call these things hurts, habits, and hangups. And every week in CR, whether you're doing a testimony or you're sharing a lesson or you're in open share, which is where you can just kind of vent for three to five minutes, we open with this kind of saying. And if you would, allow me the opportunity to be vulnerable with you. 
I'm going to open with you as I do each week and celebrate recovery, being vulnerable to my own struggles with you. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with an eating disorder, sugar addiction, and anger. And my name is Ashley. It's never easy to say those things, to name them, to be open and honest about the things that we struggle with every single day. But there's something about naming them and celebrate recovery. There's something about saying them to people that you trust. And there's something even more about hearing them say, hey, Ashley, back. The love, the encouragement, the support of just saying my name, just acknowledging that I am a human who has struggles. And while I know these struggles do not define who I am, they do not make me who I am, I do want to share with you why I felt it was important to share these with you today. And it was for the same exact reason that Zephaniah shared his message of judgment and destruction followed by hope and salvation. When we name our struggles and allow God to have power over them, we can fully experience his salvation right now. A lot of times when we think of salvation, we think of the glory, hallelujah, of getting into heaven and having eternal glory. And what a wonderful thought that is. What a wonderful hope that is. But salvation is so much more than that. Salvation is about presence with God, freedom right now here on earth. You see, we take the time to acknowledge and work through our struggles so we can experience the truth of God in our lives. The many attributes of God that he allows us to experience, he allows us to live out instead of our struggles. We can live out who God is because his Holy Spirit resides within us and gives us these things. And we overcome those struggles one day at a time. So what do we do with this dichotomy of a message of judgment and salvation? Well, we share it. We share it. And I know that that may be easier said than done because y'all are looking at me going, it's been two weeks that you've talked about judgment and salvation. It's a very complex thing to wrap our heads around. But we share this message through our testimony. You see, I shared with you my struggles, but I haven't shared with you how I have experienced Jesus' truth in those struggles, in my life. So I give you my life verse. Now, if you know this verse, this is the AIV. This is the Ashley International Version. <laughs> this is how God says this to me, okay? Oh, that's not it. See what love the Father has given me, that I am called a child of God, and that is what I am. The reason the world does not know me is that it does not know him. No matter how harsh I may see myself, no matter how critical I am of what I look like or what I preach or what I do or the work that I do, this life verse breathes truth of who I really am. And who I really am is a child of God. And so are each of you. In the second part of the verse, the reason that they don't know me is because they don't know him. Well, I think that that is a challenge. I want people to know God. I want people to know God through me, through my testimony, through my story that is God's story. Now, Satan will tell you and me that God doesn't want your story. God doesn't want you to use your story. You're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. That story is not going to make a difference. And trust me, 
There were lots of things in my head about being vulnerable and sharing these things with you. Chris and I had a very long conversation about it because it impacts him too. He has bore these burdens with me and these struggles. But it felt like the right thing to do because I feel like God today is asking me to ask you to be vulnerable. And I couldn't do that unless I was vulnerable with you first. And it's especially important because the enemy knows that through our vulnerability and through our honesty, though ugly and raw and harsh, that God can use that the most. God is going to use your story every single time when you talk about your struggles and then you talk about the redemption and the freedom you have found because of Jesus Christ. I would be happy to talk with any of you about my struggles, about your struggles, because for a long time I didn't. I didn't talk about these things. I suppressed them. I avoided them. I did everything in my power to not feel or talk about them. But friends, if you aren't naming and claiming your struggles and allowing God to have power over them, they will have power over you. Jesus didn't die on the cross for that to happen. He died on the cross so you could experience his love and his freedom, his mercy and his grace. And not doing this, not being vulnerable, not being honest that we are sinners and that we have our struggles and naming them specifically is a big reason why so many people are done with church. It's why so often we hear people say, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. I know I've heard that over and over and over again. And it's because we're not willing to take a look at our own struggles and then talk about them, admit that we have them, and then share with them what Jesus has done for us. We're too good at being you, 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 you. And this is the only time I'll ever tell you to be about I, is when you're talking about your story and what Jesus has done in your story. You see, it's not our job to go out and tell people how they are sinning, how they're messing up, how they're missing the mark. It's our job to tell them how we do, how we miss the mark, but how we have found freedom in Jesus, how he has transformed our hearts, and then living in a way that shows that transformation. Now, if there's a lie going on in your head that I'm being too personal and that I'm asking you to be too personal, you go ahead and tell Satan to get on up out of here because this is personal. This is personal. If there's anything that we learn from the Old Testament, it's how God is in every detail of the life that we live, the lives of the Israelites. His judgment is personal. His salvation is personal. Why do we think we get a pass from that? Why do we think that we aren't supposed to be personal with God and personal with one another? In Galatians 6, 1 through 5, it says, My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of what, friends? Gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Say this underlined part with me. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. We have to be personal with one another. But first, we've got to be personal with ourselves. We've got to be open with God about where we are struggling, even if it hurts 
even if we have to dig down deep into places we don't want to go, because that's how God transforms us. That's how he brings this new life that Jesus promised us through Christ. We cannot bear others' burdens unless we first know what our own burdens are and then be open about them. We cannot act as though we don't need Jesus and expect the world, <laughs> expect the world that when we tell them they need Jesus, they'll listen to us. We have to live our lives in a way that shows how desperately we need Jesus. We have to be humble and vulnerable so that when we do live this life, when we do share that testimony, God can take care of the rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your holiness. That while we have our struggles, while we know that we are sinners not because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners, that you still love us, that you still want to be personal with us and intimate and have relationship with us. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. Help us, God, to articulate our testimony. Help us to open up our hearts so that you can come in and transform us. Help us to name our struggles, God, so that you can have power in our lives over everything. And once we leave this place, once we go out and live our lives, God, that they will bring you glory, that you will be the one whose light is seen through our actions and our words. God, I thank you so much for who you are. And I pray, God, that you use this message to challenge our hearts so that you are the one, God, who is seen in everything we do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.